Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I am so grateful you joined us for another episode of the podcast where week after week, I find these amazing leaders who share their insights and hopefully inspire you. And I know you will absolutely love this episode, so please share this episode, share the podcast with others. We need to be able to elevate all the leaders around us and also bring you great programming. And I do want to say on a personal note, I do these podcasts podcast because I sincerely care about the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow to navigate those challenges with confidence. And it is because of that principle, I am so pleased to introduce my guest, Karen Mangia, who is the president and chief strategy officer of the Engineered Innovation Group, a high-growth B2B SaaS startup. And she also serves on the board of advisors for Padapapulo, a VC-backed startup revolutionizing podcasting with AI. She has so many accomplishments, but she is a world expert. She is a world authority on customer experience and customer success. And we are going to get into her prolific work, but she is also a podcaster for the future of work and coming out a fifth book. Uh, But we're also going to talk about her previous book, Creating Your Own Future of Work from the End insight out. I am so excited to bring her insights to the show. Karen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. And I always enjoy these conversations. And I do as well, because while you and I have a plan of what we're going to talk about, there's also that organic part of like, oh, I didn't know that about you. Or, oh my God, that is a mic drop moment. We got to go there. So we are going to have a lot of those moments. But a quick shout out to Laura Sicola, grateful for the network. She introduced us. But also, once I got to know Karen, her story, her backstory is quite inspirational because I think there are so many leadership lessons out there for whether you're a C-suite leader now, founder, president, or somebody who is aspiring to get into those more impactful positions. So Karen, I would love for you to share a bit about yourself and your story with my audience. Well, I entered the high-tech industry the old-fashioned way as a runaway bride. Now, you probably don't have a lot of guests that can share that story. And in my case, I was on a path to do broadcasting. I was doing a lot of work in the television and radio industry and was on track to get my master's degree in that area of study when I called off my wedding. And suddenly, with no plan as a high performer, I was a nanny for a summer. And then someone contacted me and said, you know what? You would be fantastic in this master's degree program about information and communication sciences. True confession, Deb, I didn't even really know what that was. It just sounded better than continuing to be a nanny. And I took my resume in and applied for a graduate assistantship that really would change the trajectory of my life, unbeknownst to me at the time. I learned a lot in this program about not just technology. Now, of course, I did learn about technology. I learned about how to think. 
critical problem solving skills. And I find that is a skill I use every single day. And I find that every leader I deal with uses that same skill as well. And so it set the foundation for me of really getting excited about exploring problem solving through the lens of technology and making sure that we're always keeping humans at the center of what we do. And when I think about how that came forward in my career, spending time with customers has always been my true North Star. I was in three big enterprise organizations, AT&T, Cisco, and Salesforce, before stepping into the world of entrepreneurship. And during those years, I did sales and sales leadership. I led voice of the customer and customer experience globally. All of these different ways to really sense what's happening in the market, see the opportunity, understand the problem to be solved, and then bring something to bear in terms of measurable results. And when I think about those lessons learned and really learning to speak the language of the business and the language of customers, I find those are very useful skills in this world of entrepreneurship where we're constantly shaping our story and thinking about who do we serve why do we serve and what's the greatest good or set of outcomes that we're hoping will come from that service? So one of the last things you said is something I'm constantly teaching to my demographic of up and coming leaders. They're highly talented, but they get hit a wall. They get stuck. They don't know how to get ahead because they've always been celebrated as a technical leader. And what we haven't taught them is what problem do you solve? What is your approach to doing that? What is the impact? Because that enables them to tell a story, maybe relate some experiences because we failed to teach some of our professionals how to connect with humans through story. I heard you. I understand where you're coming from. I might have something that's of value to you. And I promise this may be the impact. It's so important that skill that you have learned to bring that forward into your entrepreneurial ventures. And what I love about what you said, I think the three most powerful words in leadership are, I hear you. I mean, we all want to be heard and listened to and understood. And in addition to that, what I find that's compelling about the storytelling journey you just took us on and how relevant that is, is also the importance of asking great questions, right? This value of insatiable curiosity is critically important to get to the so what of some of those stories we're trying to tell, whether we're trying to capture heads or hearts. And I really attribute my time doing market research and customer research with learning more about how to craft great questions and get perpetually curious about the answers and also figure out how to step back and assess what does all this mean? You know, so what? What could this lead to? Or what are customers telling us about that we're not asking about in these question sets when we have conversations or executive advisory boards? You know, what you say is really critical there is to ask better questions, because, again, a lot of professionals who come up have been celebrated because of the problems that they solve, and they haven't yet had the courage to just step back and ask questions. 
because there is something very important when you say, I see or I hear you. Because part of the conversation, maybe you are there to solve a particular problem with a customer, but when you acknowledge them, I see, I understand, you approach with empathy, you reframe what you heard, immediately you gain trust. It may take you a while to solve that problem. You might not be the best person, but you've gained some trust. Again, it's that outcome. It's that long game of what we're doing. And again, I appreciate you recognizing those skills. There's so many people that could learn those important skills from you. But I got to come back to the runaway bride. <laughs> you ran away. Did you eventually run to something other than business? Yes. yes my <laughs> mom, obviously, my master's degree. It is very funny. Actually, the initial set of calls that I made was to cancel all the bookings for my honeymoon and book a backpacking trip to Europe with two girlfriends. <laughs> and that was very shocking for the straight A student graduating summa cum laude, you know, that had the scholarship in the plan. It was the first time in my life that I let go of the plan and really stepped into the unknown. And yes, I have, you know, stepped toward, of course, other meaningful relationships in my life. And something that experience gave me the courage to do was to speak up for myself and also to understand that There are so many ways that your network will come back to benefit you, even when you least expect it. That graduate assistantship came from someone I had known and done some work with as an undergraduate student, someone who saw potential in me. We all have people like this at different points in our life and different points in our career. And I'm grateful that she was thinking about a plan while I was off not having one. And I think about how pivotal different people like that have been in my career and in my life. And that you just never know when some of these people or their insights or the access to what they know or who they know could become really beneficial at a pivotal point in your own journey. So, so important to create and maintain some of those relationships. So, When we first met, you had a bit of exciting news that you had just transitioned out of one venture and now into your most recent position. And I know you were quite excited about it. Tell us more about this role that you're doing and some of the work that you're doing now. What started as a discovery or exploratory conversation became a real opportunity because of shared values. And when I think about this world of enterprises, I think a lot of times about that safety in numbers concept. You know, there were many, many years I worked in large enterprises that I never thought about whether or not my paycheck was going to clear, much less who might be processing that check somewhere, right? You know, you get focused on your function, you're you're doing your job, and there's a sense of we'll keep growing. You know, you tend to have more resources to do more things. And when I thought about stepping into this world of entrepreneurship, what became abundantly clear as I connected with people who've made that same transition and also some mentors and coaches that I respect is the importance of having values alignment, especially with the founder and CEO. And what was so compelling for me was I had just taken some time before the conversation as a year in review for myself to reconsider and reflect on my own values and how those had shifted and to kind of set an intention for the new year about how I wanted to show up. And the word at the top of my list was abundance, embracing and embodying this abundance mindset and bringing it out in others. 
You know, sometimes you were using the word stuck earlier. When we feel stuck, what we're basically saying is we only see one path forward and we don't like it. Now, that isn't true. I mean, that's sort of a lie of the mind, but it can feel that way. And I thought, what would it what would it feel like to show up that way and help other people unlock this sense of abundance, right? There are many choices that are available to us. And I had a conversation with this founder and CEO. And first and foremost, when he was starting the business, he spent three days not writing a business plan, not incorporating the business, not getting an attorney. He spent three days silently writing and reflecting on his values what mattered to him and what would guide starting this business and how he wanted people to feel when they interacted, whether that was as a customer or a prospect or as a colleague at some point. And so when he and I were having this conversation, he said, well, one of the important things as a president and chief strategy officer is I want you to help be a keeper of the culture. I want to make sure these values feel real to people. And that's part of what's important to me. And so I asked him, how would you describe the culture and what are these top values? And he said, the number one most important thing to me is this value of abundance. And I was like, well, I'll take the job. That sounds great. <laughs> and I put that out there to say, I reflect on it a little bit more in retrospect. I was speaking to a group of entrepreneurship students at a university that are in their final year and in their capstone class. And I talked about that, the importance of if you're going to take a risk, whether that's being an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, who you are aligned with and shared values becomes critically important. Because if you don't, you can endure it for three months, six months, maybe a year, but it will be your demise or put something, something else will fall by the wayside. You may lose something of yourself. Your stress level may go up. You may not be whole. Human element can only endure so much, especially in the space of values. Oh my. (laughs) And and it's a guiding principle for me as well, who I like to work with. You can feel when we're not aligned. It's like, I don't trust you. I'll work with you for a little bit, but that's it. (laughs) You mentioned the Success from Anywhere book in the opening, and I write about that in the book. I define burnout as living outside of your values for an extended period of time. And that's really what that is, right? You get worn out because you're having a values and beliefs clash with someone critical and influential over your career and how you're spending the bulk of your time. And the other discovery that I have made stepping into this world of entrepreneurship is Every skill I've ever built is useful in this context. Every person I've ever met is a potential resource or someone to answer a question. And perhaps the funniest of all, and some of your listeners who are in this startup world might relate to this, it's like I have every single job I've ever had in my entire career. It's just that I have them all at once. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) The admin, the thinker, the... (laughs) And, and mind you, sales and marketing, business development, all on top of it. It's a crazy space, the entrepreneurial space, but it is one of the most amazing growth experience and evolution experiences I can talk firsthand, but it's a ride worth riding. <laughs> yes. And I think about your CEO compass and you and I have talked about this before. I love how you really think about that and break it down. And I was describing what I do to someone the other day in the simplest terms as calm, coach, and create. When I boil it down, those are really the essential skills. You know, what's happening, whether that's creating a story, creating a customer pitch, coaching maybe a founder, someone on the team, and also just 
bringing that we're not stuck. There's more choices. Okay. It was up a little today. Tomorrow it'll be a little down. We can just find a center point here, hopefully, and be the eye of the storm. And so that's a slight plug for the work that I do. I am constantly dropping into situations that are of crises. And people say when I show up, at least first and foremost, my voice is calm. I may be churning inside, but the voice is calm because we got to calm everybody down in order to find out what do we need to do first, second, third, and move forward. And then I'll deal with my inner chaos later on. Such good insights. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com, and click on my products, The CEO's Compass, and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now back to the conversation. I want to go to places where you feel very passionate about. And one of the things that we talked about before jumping on here was you like to talk about leadership inflection points. And I just, I really love that concept. I'd love for you just to elaborate a little bit more on that. When I think about my journey as a leader, there are a few moments that stand out. And of course, first and foremost is that first promotion to managing people. No matter how prepared you think you are for that experience, even you might have a management degree from university, nothing prepares you for the business of managing people, particularly for the first time. And I think about those discoveries as important, that first leadership role, because you start to find out a little bit about your style. And I think in that first leadership role where you're managing people for the first time, at least as I think about it now, you tend to be a bit more diligent about looking for role models because you acknowledge at that point, you don't know everything and might need some help. So the beauty of a beginner's mind is what I equate to and take away from that first experience of managing people. And really, I think a first inflection point in my journey. I mean, you are definitely a beginner. You're aware you don't know things and you tend to be very curious because you want to do well and be taken seriously in that role. I think about the next inflection point as that experience of becoming a manager of managers or leader of leaders, depending on what phrasing you want to use there. And the reason I found that to be such an interesting inflection point is that you are now further away from your subject matter area of expertise. You tend to be leading people whose jobs you've never done And you tend to need to be able to ask better questions and relate to what motivates people in a different way. What I also discovered about that manager of managers inflection point is the importance of coaching people through how to prioritize their time and being conscious of kind of running interference for your team. 
right? You are now the one taking the directive or the vision or the new strategy and plan from that senior leadership team and turning it into something that can be activated and actioned upon. And it's easy to lose sight that you were just in that role where you were getting things pushed down and, you know, rolled up from the bottom. And so I think about that as just needing to motivate and understand people in a different way. And that it's a little bit less about knowing every function in the team and how everything works and a whole lot more about stepping back and understanding strategy and priorities and how much stronger the signal you send becomes and it becomes much more subtle. People are reading a lot more into your nonverbals. They're reading a lot more into whether or not you're working on vacation on nights and weekends. Like you're on a jumbotron, right? And minor moves become major moves that send these signals to the team. And sometimes for better or for worse, right? We've all learned those, I think, the hard way. And then I think about kind of the next point in this journey of getting very passionate and understanding a lot more. And I think the pandemic was a catalyst for a lot of organizations to do this, is really getting deeper into understanding how to help people be at their best. What are those optimal circumstances so that someone is living well and working well and not feeling the need to choose one or the other? And I think when everyone's health, mental health, physical health, and safety came into such crystal clear focus, and we started to learn more about what matters to the people around us, I started thinking back to our values conversation about, I mean, when was the last time that you truly sat down with your colleagues or even your customers and asked them, what do you value? What's the most important thing to you? Why does that matter so much? And how that changes the dynamics of relationships in such a significant way. This has been just the snippet, this soundbite here has been absolutely amazing. And as you drew me into this, I was thinking about my own story. I was thinking about being a first-time manager, and I learned that I did not like to confront. I had lots of stress and anxiety of how was I going to dismiss somebody for the first time. And I felt actually lost. I just knew I had to do it, but I had no manager to talk me through what that looked like. And I would say the second time I had to do that full of stress. And so it kind of reinforced. So I think one point from that first time leader is you absolutely have to have a mentor or coach because to, you know, egg you on when you're doing well, but also provide you some context and some tools on how to do that. But (laughs) you actually brought back some really bad memories for me because we didn't have the support system. That's why your work, your voice, your book, your podcast, we're both giving tips to those people that may not be as equipped as maybe you or I later in our lives. But also, I also had that inflection point. You reminded me that I was at a place where I was managing subject matter experts and managers, and I could no longer firefight or do the work myself. And we weren't getting the results. But when I reflected and changed my leadership style, and I realized my job was to remove the barriers of these subject matter experts and help them to achieve their greatest potential. Oh my, look at these people now. They have gone in different roles, promotions, et cetera. Because of me evolving as a leader, it's so important that point. And just you've been bringing back some amazing memories for me as well. And what showed up for me and what you were describing is that terrifying moment that some of your listeners might be in now where you're feeling stuck at this crossroads between inexperience and imposter syndrome. You know you probably need help from someone and you don't want to ask anyone you work with because you don't want them to know that you don't know. 
And that's where this network becomes critically important. And I think it's different for senior leaders. They, they don't want to ask people for different reasons. They want to appear bulletproof. This is why having a network of people, a coach, someone outside your organization who's ahead of you on the journey is critically important. I mean, especially in navigating that, that crossroads between inexperience and imposter syndrome. It's, it's really tough. So I want to just now change course a little bit. You are a prolific content creator like myself. When we got on here, I didn't realize you have a fifth book coming out. We were going to talk about success from anywhere, but you have another book coming out. Tell us more about that creation and why did you write it? Yes. And what I think about is people who have kids. I think, you know, if you have one child, people are like, when are you having another child? And you're like, aren't, didn't we just have this one? Are you <laughs> that we have, right? Books are a little bit like that. You know, you write your first book and then suddenly people are like, when are you going to write a second book? And it's like, do you know how hard it is to write a book? Okay. So <laughs> I swore after book number four, I was never writing another book just because I thought I don't have anything left to say worth writing down <laughs> at that length and depth. And it is a labor of love. Every book is a labor of love. And there was a moment when I started thinking in the December timeframe, and maybe it's because year ends, we tend to think in terms of summaries and reviews and these meaningful moments. And what I started thinking about is that I've been fortunate to meet some wonderful people in my life, talented leaders, accomplished entrepreneurs, and everything in between, beyond my wildest dreams. And honestly, the person that I have learned the most from in my life is my 100-year-old grandfather, who is still living. He lives in his own home independently. He day trades stocks on his three iPads, smartwatch, multiple laptops. He is a first-generation American, a World War II veteran. He will still have a healthy debate with you on any topic. Knowledge of the topic is not a factor in his willingness to debate you. And I started getting very curious. You know, we talk about leadership legacy, right? This is a common topic. And I thought, what is the makings of the leadership legacy of someone who is so vivacious at 100 years old that he's kind of still running a business, trading stocks for the family, like the day job he had running a finance and insurance company. And so I started encapsulating every Sunday, this Sundays with Salvatore. Um, so his name is Salvatore Manja, and started writing down these little nuggets of wisdom from him and stories. And I started thinking about what could we all learn from that that's relevant to how we live and lead today? And what that became, because I cook Sunday dinner for him every single Sunday and have for years, is this book, Sundays with Salvatore, 52 Recipes to Cultivate Conversation, Connection, and Community. And I did the introduction, the summary to the book. He wrote the afterword. And then the book has 52 chapters for 52 weeks in a year, each with a standalone story a piece of his wisdom, a little prompt for me to make his wisdom your own, and then a recipe from our family archives and lots of photos throughout. And something that I really have learned from doing this book is that the difference between regrets and rejoicing in life is action. I mean, I could have waited until he passed away to write this book about him, and there would have probably been a tone of grief, or I would have felt that I was processing grief. Doing this with him while he's still alive and we can do it together 
is a joyous experience. I mean, when the draft copies of the book came and I saved the box and we opened it together and I got on video, his organic reaction to seeing himself and his wisdom in print, I was like, this is the path of no regrets. What we say yes to that we take action on is the path to leading a life of no regrets. And I think we all want that. That is probably one of the most important points we're going to have is living a life without regrets. For anybody out there listening, think about your situation. I just interviewed somebody just just before you talking about courage. Do we have the courage to take action so we no longer have regrets and we can rejoice for the work that we're doing? So impactful. And I really appreciate that. But I want to go into a few more talking points because you have so many things that I think are really impactful from our listeners. And one of the things is, is you talk about momentous to momentum. And again, I am writing my next book. I'm still working on the working title. It could be Secrets of the C-Suite. It could be C-Suite Secrets. But it's about the frustrated leader that needs to be able to break through their career challenges in a short amount of time if they had the right mindset and the right tools. But I think this is similar to what your thinking is. Tell us more about momentous to momentum. We tend to think and act in terms of the grand gesture. You're super burnout and now you are picturing a sabbatical or a three-week vacation, not cancel the next meeting. We're thinking, I need a whole vacation. I've got to go far away. I need a retreat, an ashram, a silence, something, a cleanse, whatever your version might be. Inside of organizations, we tend to think in what I call the, the five-year you know, five-phase roadmap kind of approach to solving a problem, right? We hear something from a customer and now suddenly there's governance committees and operating playbooks and a tagline and it's going to take us forever to solve this problem, at which point the customer will have moved on. The reality is think big, act small works. Momentous is the grand gesture that says, I need five phases, you know, $500 million and 500 people or whatever that looks like to you. And the reality is, What would happen if you could think and act in terms of what could I do with five people, five dollars, and five minutes? I call it the five-minute fix. And here's what it gets us out of. I need this momentous career-making moment out of this big initiative and instead says, let's get moving. Let's try something. Here's the reality. Five people, five dollars, five minutes says, find five minutes. Come up with some ideas. Try them. If one works, you move a little forward. If something doesn't work, you haven't overinvested. What you're creating is momentum. On any initiative in life, whether it's losing weight, going to the gym, launching a new business, or transforming the one that you're in, even if you only made 1% daily progress, you would more than double where you are in 72 days. You could be twice as far in 72 days by spending. 1% of your time on that. We can all find five minutes. We can all find 1%. What I boil it down to is momentous to momentum is a function of doing the doable. Do the doable. We build these big plans. We get stuck. It's paralyzing. It's hard to get going because it's so big. It's bigger than us. Do the doable. And so I have taken exactly that. (laughs) I am about ready to write my second book. I actually just this weekend drafted chapter one. 
It's interesting. It is enormous, but if I can chunk it down each week, each month, have the discipline to do something each week, this thing gets done. And so many people will look at my work. It's like, I can't believe how you transform. You do a podcast. You did a book before. How did you do it? I said, well, I had this five-year plan, but I laid it out each month, each week, and at some points each day in order to check things off on the most important things. And it has gotten me through because you can get completely paralyzed by the enormity of the change that we want to make. But I think you've inspired me a little bit during this conversation because I have been a little frustrated about my reach and impact. And again, sometimes with marketing, my business, you don't know who you're impacting because people are kind of quiet and shy. But I also want to try something new to reach people. They talk about YouTube. YouTube is very strong. People like to consume video. I want to get a video editor and do it all professional. And they said, no, I will still do that someday. I got all this raw video right now. Just put it out there. Just put it out there. Get people engaged. Don't worry about it being perfect. Just do something now. Test the waters. Make course corrections, retract, or what have you. So you've definitely actually helped me in the moment make a key decision on how I'm going to be projecting and moving my self forward. Yes. One step at a time. And I, you probably get asked this also because of having a book and people will say, how do you write five books? And I often respond one sentence at a time. In reality, some of the best advice I received when I started writing my first book was first commit to writing a tweet every day and putting it out there about your topic. I mean, now you're character limited, so you can do that. Then start doing three LinkedIn posts a week. Now it's a little bit longer then start doing a blog post once a month. So you're building this muscle of consistent content creation and you can build on that and also test along the way what resonates with people. The other tip I like to share is there is a way that it's gamified. It's called 750 words a day and you can sign up and you can alter your word count, but you sign up and it's gamified for every time you keep your commitment, you get rewarded and you can join writing sprints with other authors where you encourage each other. So if you are motivated by crowdsourcing or the gamification aspect, 750 words a day is another resource that I find helpful. Oh, what a great, what a great resource. You know, you and I could go on and on. I, I'm thank you for sharing about your fifth book and your grandfather. That was really inspiring. I do ask people, Karen has written Success from Anywhere, Create Your Own Future of Work from the Inside Out, and three other books prior. And I look forward to the sixth and seventh book. We could go on and on, but I just want to say thank you. You've created so much value already just for my audience as well as myself. And so I'm grateful that Laura introduced us, but I want to give you the floor one last time just to share any last insights before we bring this to a close. One of the most important lessons that I have learned over the course of my career and life and find out that I continually need to relearn is the importance of defining success on your own terms. I have borrowed other people's definitions of success before and chased titles or promotions and ended up in jobs I didn't love or you know chased some other metric, approval, acceptance, fill in the blank. What I have found to be the most helpful in making room for what matters most is to define that for yourself and revisit your definition of success or your top priority on a regular basis. Because I found that when you are clear about what matters most to you and how you define success, it's the easiest filter for what you say yes and no to, because you can easily test, will this move me closer to 
or further from who I want to be and how I want to show up. So I always like to think about that, you know, feeling of it feels like sometimes when you watch other people who look like they're being successful and you're like, they're in the success club. I just want to join the secret success club. The reality is success is available to anyone, anywhere, at any time. And success is yours to define. And on that note, I can't top that one. I want to just say thank you so much for being an amazing guest, sharing your time with my audience, sharing your insights. And I do hope somebody listening will be inspired by your work and follow your work. So thank you for dropping it on the podcast. I do wish you, Karen, much success with your new book and all the other books that you're going to continue to write. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.